Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. And Shalom, and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hello there. Shalom to Shalom. you and happy post Shavuot. Yes. And as we say, it feels say, weird to not be like wishing anybody something, right? You're not like looking like you're. This is like that time of the year where you're kind of not exactly looking toward a holiday. Well, I, I know that that's for you. That's the only joy that you have in the world is looking forward uh, towards a holiday. I wouldn't say it's the only joy. But you love holidays. And uh, my feelings have been publicly hurt in front of all of our guests here in our living room. God forbid. But. I would say it is a joy. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because I heard the exact opposite from uh, Uri Karzen. What do you mean? Director General of Chevron. Like, thank God we're done. He says, he says, this is the time of the summer where it's not the three weeks. Right, right. And it's just go out there right. and be happy and right. enjoy the summer. Okay, I like, like, yeah. like, like. Good simmer. It's good yeah. summer time. That's right. So you, you forgot to say that there is a Yiddish blessing right. for this time right after Shavuot. We say, Aguten Zimmer. A good zimmer, yeah, good right? Zimmer. We did some zimmering the other day. We did, and 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 in Hebrew you say kites bari, a a healthy summer, and we indeed went down on Tuesday uh, for some beach time. I wasn't feeling a hundred percent, so uh, and the kids needed a little bit of a break from the break, so we went down. Yeah, have you ever noticed that you don't feel like rested and refreshed? After our relaxing holidays. Well, Shavuot is not a relaxing no, holiday. No, Shavuot is not a relaxing Shavuot holiday. is a hyper intense. Plus you're digesting all that cheesecake. Plus have, you know, getting, getting killed twice uh, by receiving the Torah and hearing those, those first right. two commandments from the <laughs> Lord and having, yeah. you know, your, your neshama basically, you know, yeah, leave energy. your body. It's like, it's, it's a thing to receive the Torah. Yes. It's, it's a true. thing. I felt, I'll tell you, the next day after Shavuot, which is called Easter Chag, I felt drained. Right, I felt drained, and not in like a bad way, in a good way, but like in a drained way. And right. I, I do want to talk a little bit about Shavuot itself because uh, because it it is in some ways a hidden holiday, and outside of the land of Israel, uh, and our our Jewish brothers and sisters and and our, the Gentiles that love Israel, uh, they sometimes don't know about it. But I just want to tell you that like it's an all night learning session. I was learning Torah uh, with the kids and by myself till about uh, one thirty in the morning. We were on the Mount of Olives. At our friends, the Wanderers' house, we were on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and then went out. Two a.m. I met my buddies, uh, like ten buddies. We met at uh, the Golden Menorah Churva Synagogue Square in the Old City, which is like the central square of the Jewish quarter. We met there, and then I gave my friends a little class. I gave like a fifteen-minute class on the Book of Ruth. And not only that, a lot of other people joined because it was just public. The menorah was right in back of my friends sitting there, and I was giving them a class. So there was my friends, and I could see the menorah. And you know who else joined listening to the shiur that I gave? Shmuli Botech, Rabbi Shmuli wow. Botech. So he really enjoyed it as well. That's cool. And I said to them, 15 minutes. And he and I and I like I hit like three points, strong points, and they were just like, wow. I wasn't going to give them a 30-minute class. 15-minute tight class, boom. And it was really fun. And then from there, we, the guys, we went to the Shiloach uh, water canal system, uh, the Siloan pool, uh, the Shiloach in the city of David, under uh, like, you know, in Jerusalem, but to the south uh, of, the of the old, old city, city and, and kind of below. And, and me and a thousand other people uh, jumped in, got undressed and jumped in the mikveh Jumped into that rivulet and and dunk there uh, to be holy for uh, this, the holy receiving of the Torah on Shavuot morning, 
So we got like, you know, it was like a thousand people were there and we were all, you know, just, 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 you know, full Monty and, and then, and then dunking in the holy, this holy river, then back up to the old city to the uh, Yeshivat HaKotel, which overlooks the Temple Mount, prayed there most of the prayers, uh, finished a little bit early before the rest of the crowd, went down to the entrance to the Temple Mount at 7 in the morning, and I was—I actually got there at 6.45. I thought I would be amongst the first group. I was already not the first group. Got there as a second group. I saw that my buddies were with me, m- most of them, and even the good folks, the non-Jewish folks at Hayovel were there waiting in line already. Of course, being totally Jewish-Israeli, I passed them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what does that mean? Because we're pushy, and and we can't even help it. And and then, uh, but but they went up as well, God bless them. And really, here here are non-Jews who are trying to be part of the experience of Israel. And we went up in the Temple Mount on Shavuot morning, on the Chag. Uh, And then we were greeted with, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. The Allahu Akbar witches were doing their their shrieks, um, and these are not shrieks of "Do you believe in God?" So do I. They are shrieks of Allahu Akbar. Translates right. to Our "Not God, God is great." Is that your God? Right, right. Which is so old school. You got to appreciate that, right, Malka? Yeah. You just got to appreciate that. Like people are like that. Like, no, my God is better than your God. My God beats your God. Right, that's and an my old God, story. It's an old story. Yeah. And, I, you know, I like that because it's like, it's not like we want civil rights. We want, you know, two state Equal solution. Yeah. yeah. What we want is to say to you that your God is a Zippo and we want to curse your God and you're little and our God is superior and we control the spot and get out. Right. <laughs> and, and, and we're like, no, our God trumps your God. It's just a matter of time. You heard of King David. He'll be back. And we're going to, you know, and we'll cut the head off your uh, top warrior because we're just like that. So, so you know, it was like that. But, but and then once we passed the, the Shrieking Witches, uh, you know, got, got, to the, got to a spot on the eastern side of the Temple Mount and said the full Musaf prayer. And there's these guys that go to Temple Mount that know it all by heart. They knew the, because we were not allowed to take up prayer right, books. Because God forbid that anyone should see a Jew with a prayer book or let's, on the Temple Mount let's say it because even, that's every kind of bad, including inciting violence. Because when I hold my religious book, that makes other people be violent. Right. Because because your God is trying to come up against their God. Right. And so I mean, that's is, the real truth. Right. It does incite violence. Right, it does. Right. And so... It, because they know that our prayers are really strong and they have to fight them. Right. Plus, there's another way to say what you just said, which is the modern state of Israel, the Jewish state reborn after 2,000 years, upholds the laws of the jihad on our holiest place by not allowing just Jews imagine, to prayer. Like, I know we have a lot of listeners from outside of Israel. Just imagine that like two doors down <laughs> is like a public place where only... <laughs> Christians are not allowed to pray. Just imagine that for a second. Like Muslims could pray there. Well, it's not really true because because uh, Christians are not allowed to pray on the Temple Mount either. But I think they're they're held in less suspicion than Jews. 
Yeah. It's anyway, really, but it's you really, did manage to pray up on there. Right. No, but the, see, but what's happening today is actually yeah. the uh, the state of Israel is starting to change its relationship and did allow us to pray, especially because of the shrieking witches, because the shrieking witches were like yelling at us. It's like, look, they're doing, you know, th- right, they're, they're harassing us. Of noise, so, yeah, so we're just going to do what we want. So so through the efficacy of um, Temple Mount activists, uh, the Jewish people are now praying on Temple Mount, prayed the whole Musaf. Now, we were not allowed a prayer book. So there's these guys who say it all out loud by heart, including special prayers that are a little bit different on the Temple Mount itself. And so um, we were there praying on Temple Mount, and we did the whole Musaf. We did Birkat Kohanim, the prayer, the, uh, the um, uh, priestly blessing. blessing. The That's right. And then even the reading of the Torah, there was no Torah scroll, but the guys read it all by heart wow. on Temple Mount. They said it by heart. They said it by heart. And it was just, anyway, got off the Temple Mount and, and you know, went home, hadn't, hadn't, hadn't slept that night, and lots of prayers, uh, freezing water, uh, teaching a class, uh, praying at the crack of dawn, going up on the Temple Mount in the heat. The right. heat, they, the, heat well, the minute the sun came out of its out of its pocket it was just it was hot 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 and so uh and then walk back home and like that's what i mean like at it, it, the end it's like spiritually draining but that's what it's supposed to be receiving of the torah is not like a it's not like a walk in the park it's not like it's a it's an amal right, it's an, amal. Effort. It's it's an, an effort. effort you're supposed to you're supposed to be an effort and, and that and that earns you something so Shavuot in Eretz Yisrael, very powerful thing. And now, Malka, we are on to uh, the summertime. So that's right. A guten Zimmer yes, to you. Yes, guten Zimmer to you as well. Yeah, and and let's enjoy and let's enjoy this time until you know the three weeks begins, the seventeenth yes, of Tammuz, and three weeks, and really fully enjoy the summer. Sadly, the kids have school still. That's not sad. I, I just mean to say this would be a great time for the kids not to have right, school. Right, they should have school during the three weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's right? what I'm saying. Right, right. Anyway, it's not like that. I know that actually in in places like America, I think the school year is already over. They're like already full on into summer. My kids were complaining. They got whiff of this. <laughs> and they were complaining to me because we also some schools in Israel, but not really. Some schools in Israel don't have school on Fridays, like grade schools. Right. But we do have school on Sundays. Everybody has school on Sunday. In Israel, Sunday is called Yom Rishon, the first day. It's the first day of the week. It's not like a Sabbath day for, for Israel, right. for Jews. We do not have a two-day break. We don't have it. And, and they didn't institute an official two-day break. Right. Now, it happens to be that a lot of people take Friday off um, of their like work. But it's still a work day because you're preparing for Shabbat. And that's like a serious thing. So you're cleaning your house. You're cooking your food. Um and getting ready for Shabbat. And then when Shabbat comes, it's not like, oh, I'm 30 minutes late. Like you cannot be 30 minutes late for Shabbat. If you're 30 minutes late, if you're if you're one minute late for Shabbat, you are late. And that's not good. You get something called karet. Karet, say it with me, karet. Yeah. Which means your soul is cut off from the Jewish people. You don't want that. No. You're no. trying to avoid that. Trying to avoid that. So there's like a time factor every Friday as well. Right. Um, so it's like, it's, it's a day off and, and definitely people use it to go to the beach and to go, do, you know, do their little errands and stuff like that. But it's not like a worry-free. It is not a worry-free day of leisure. It's interesting that you mentioned all this. So then, it, so then in Israel, there's basically one day off right. and that day is Shabbat. And that day, not complaining, that day is filled with religious obligations, right? N- not to mention the fact that you can't, you're not using uh, your television, you're not using your cell phone, you're not using your car, 
right? So it's also not a day to like go and and like take it easy. Maybe Jews aren't supposed to take it easy. Well, we have we have some times. This is here here you have a nice little time period right now to try to, you know, enjoy life a little bit and um but it's interesting that you say all this because it's it's coincidental and we and I did not plan this beforehand, but I wanted to to bring up that so I hired a lobbyist. Okay, and I'm I'm going to get to the my point in a second. I hired this lobbyist which is helping me push for the Israel Biblical Highway, renaming Route 60, the, the road that connects seven biblical places, uh, uh, Beersheba, Hebron, Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, Yerushalayim, Beit El, Shiloh, and Shechem, seven holy cities, biblical cities on one highway, to rename it the Israel Biblical Highway. And this effort is inside government, it's inside the coal, even inside the, the Knesset government, but also inside of local government. Uh, and I'm, I'm really trying to bring this together. And I hired this lobbyist because I really want to get this done. And it's very exciting. Uh, and I realized that like, that like this, this, this lobbyist that I hired, I'm like, okay, we could get more government type stuff done that I've always wanted to do. <coughs> One of the things, once we finish off the Israel Biblical Highway, the renaming, if that will happen, be Ezrat Hashem. I was thinking that really the next one we should go for is the um, Rosh Chodesh as day off yes. law. Like. Uh, a, a, we a, need it. Yeah, we need it. We need it. And, and on multiple levels. Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the Jewish month. Which is, happens every month. Which happens every month. Right. And yeah, I think that is a good compromise. I just want to also one say. One day a month. It'll, one day a month. It'll be good for everything. Right. One day a month of. But it's got to be like a not a sa- it's not a Sabbath day. It's got to be like a shopping day and a fun day and a well, it's not day. a Sabbath day. It's right. literally not. There's right. no obligation to do any of the laws of Shabbos. But maybe the government offices should be closed off, and the school should be like closed off for that day. Right, and, just, and people go out and like right. be and spend money. And if you money. missed that day, which is once a month, so that's not great. But if you miss that day, another one is coming next month. Like you, right. everyone like has a guaranteed one day a month right. where they're like not supposed to be doing something overly extremely Jewish, and with a lot of preparation and a lot of obligation, and they can just go out. Well, and something themselves. Jewish will happen, and that is people will know that it's the which Jewish, Jewish new month, month. It is which they don't even know. Let let them know that it's even the new month in general. This was a minor holiday in ancient times, and and the reason I also want to mention this is that lobbyists cost money. And I think that if anybody wants to support my efforts uh, to to change laws in Israel and help me fund, you know, this lobbyist that he I'm was really he's really good. He's good. And he's really interested in the work. Right. Also, it's not just like a pay job. Right. And it, and it, but it costs me money yeah. every month. Uh, and that's the way things get done. So if you're interested in that, please go to EshaiFleischer.com forward slash donate. I just had my first person, Ishai, reach out to me on Twitter asking how to donate. That was cool. Oh. They, they slid into my DMs, as they say in the parlance. I never heard and of that. And then they were like, yeah, if, you're, if you were more of a hipster like me. They slid into the know. DMs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whatever. Wow. They're in the DMs, oh. which is the direct messages. No, that I know. That you know. But okay. I didn't know about sliding in there. You slide in. That's already been for a few years they've been sliding. Oh, ding. I'm, I'm behind the time. Yeah. Didn't get the memo. So. Is there still memos? Or is that also a DM? <laughs> I guess I guess nobody slid me that DM. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, behind, Anywho, yeah. somebody asked me how to donate, and and I sent them the buy me a coffee link. Nice. Okay, but buy me a coffee is like this. Buy me a coffee is to, is to, I enjoy the show. I support the show. I want to keep hearing the show. That's great. 
uh, for bigger projects if you want to support changing laws in Israel to make them more Jewish, then that's through the, the donate page. com. That's right. Uh, Which is a great site, by the way. People should just go have a look-see. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff. And I want to thank Moshe Herman for keeping that, that site updated. And I also want to thank at that same opportunity, Ben Bresky, uh, who also has a segment on the show. He's uh, the, the audio editor of the show, but also has uh, a segment coming up uh, in just a few minutes. About, what does he do in his segment? Uh, he reads great articles from the past. From the, like that day in history type thing? Uh, yeah, yeah, that day in history or, or, or historical. He's, he's like an archivist of sorts and, and really finds great stuff. And today we're going to be talking about Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura, Ooh. the famous 15th century rabbi and uh, commentator on the Mishnah. Uh, That's funny because I saw Bartanura wine yep. on sale in the grocery store. Nice. Where's that wine from? Italy. Yeah, it's Italian wine. Yeah. And it's like it's like the gold standard of Jewish table wine. Yeah. It's like yum, yum, yum. Yeah. There's still a few wines that like grape juices, like Kedem grape juice, Bartonura wine. These guys like hold out like yeah, 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 a place, a dear place in the in the diaspora heart. Now you actually did a show. You just did an interview for Goel Jasper, yes, which is called his show is called Return Again, uh, Return Again. It's called Return Again. It's about Aliyah. It's about people who make Aliyah, and I can't wait to share that link because that 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 looks like a great show that you did. I heard some of your interview it was Thank great. You. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and um, it was it was fun to do that interview. He asked you whether you drink. Uh, Kedem, uh, yeah. American grape juice or Israeli grape juice? What was I'm your not going to not drink Kedem grape juice. First of all, I want to say that the juice, when you buy the big juice, it comes in an excellent plastic bottle. True, true, true. And you just want that. Yep. Because you can rinse it out. You can use it for water for your trips or whatever. Yeah. So every once in a while, a person needs some Stored in case of nuclear holocaust. But Exactly. But in reality, what I usually do or what I really try to do um, like 50 Shabbases of the year is to buy Israeli grape juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not to say that I even necessarily prefer the taste of the Israeli grape juice. I like the Kedem grape juice. There's something deep in my soul that connects to the Kedem it's grape the juice. It's the Concord. It's the Concord. It's the Concord. It's very grape. good. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, but uh, Israeli grape juice is very delicious. Don't get me wrong. But um, But I just feel like if I'm in Israel on the land of Israel mm-hmm. and I have the opportunity to drink grapes that were grown in the land of Israel that's just like spiritually healthier you know no doubt like it's better for you mm-hmm. absolutely great Israeli grape juice what's the what's the shayla it's the well it's the, the shayla is the do you want to drink your yummy yummy kenem grape juice that's the shayla that's the question that, I think the kenem grape juice is really great uh, but but there's nothing like juice of the land but I was going to say that if I do end up drinking a uh, 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 kenem grape juice yeah. made in Marlboro New York yes um, then I actually do the opposite of what I recommend. I do the flip, the inverse of what I recommend to people outside of the land of Israel to do. I'm always recommending to people outside of the land of Israel to drink an Israeli wine and to, to have an Israeli product. So therefore you're like really, you know, allowing those things to be part of your body. But if I end up drinking a Kedem grape juice, then I'm like, good. Let me remember my brothers and sisters in the diaspora. That's nice. Let me, let me bring them in. Right. Nice. Let me draw them in. And draw them into the land of Israel, and um, I, th- I think I think we have to uh, do these kind of things that are either symbolic or spiritual uh, to draw each other in, to keep each other. Like my friend Jake, 
uh, he's always listening on Spotify to like Israeli music. That's cool. And his kids live with Israeli wow, music. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. So like it Israelifies them a little. I think he know they know Israeli music better than our kids. Wow. Honestly. Uh, and he's just into it. You know what I mean? That's that's his way of drawing Israel into his life and himself into Israel. Right. Uh, s- same thing with uh, we we all like if you're listening to the show, you are that kind of person one way or another. That's that's for sure. If you're listening to the show right now, you do stuff in your life, including this show, to bring Israel into your life. That's for sure. Speaking of that, that reminds me actually something that I have to take a little bit of a of a break and, and uh, mention it that the show today is dedicated. That's wow, right. It's that's dedicated nice. to two people um, for their health. And the first one uh, is uh, the father of Arya Abramowitz, uh, who is not feeling well right now. And it is incumbent upon all of us, our good friend Ari Abramowitz from you know the Land of Israel Network and the, our good farm, uh, and the uh, and the uh, what do they call it the uh, the the Sundays the fellowship the fellowship of course. Uh, so uh, his father's name is Mordechai Herschel Ben uh, Chaika, or Chaika, and uh, we're going to all pray for Mordechai Herschel Ben Chaika uh, for a complete and speedy and total recovery. Uh, and Rak Briut, and so the show is dedicated to to Mordechai Heschel uh, for Rifuah Shlema. Uh, so too, uh, I want us to dedicate the show today uh, to my good friend Tammy Klein's mom, uh, who sadly was in a car accident. She was hit by a car. Oi, 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 oi. Uh, and she is in desperate need of all of our prayers right now. So the show is dedicated to Esther Batsara. Esther Batsara for Rifuah Shlema Umehera. And may you get back on your feet and live a full and 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 uh, healthy life. So today is uh, uh, the show is dedicated to both Mordechai and Esther for for Mor- Whoa, that's crazy! It's Mordechai and Esther. Whoa, that's weird. That I, weird. I was complete. I didn't even. I didn't even. Uh, I didn't even. I didn't even plan that. In fact, in fact. Well, you, yeah, you didn't plan that. No, I I I, I didn't realize that before the yeah. show. And you you know it's interesting. They say im bechukotai telechu. I found the medrash that says im. Stands for Esther and Mordechai. Like if you follow the ways of Esther and Mordechai, that's bechukotai telechu. Uh, and it also says im is is Aharon and Moshe, and it also means im is is Eliyahu and Mashiach. Whoa! Uh, but but in in this case today, we dedicate the show to to Esther and Mordechai for a fuah shlema and for the strength of our peoplehood. Uh, together, may you uh, return to full strength. Amen. Uh, and of course, if you ever want to dedicate a show, you are welcome to do so. Um, you know. Uh, it's just one of the ways to to keep our show uh, uh, free and free flowing to the world, uh, and your support and love is appreciated. Now, uh, one more topic I want to. Oh, did I say everybody that I'm thankful for for the show? Oh, so there was there was Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Yocheved, Tabitha, and Lou. When we're live, he produces the show. When he helps produce the show when we're live. Uh, but I do. I want to thank everybody very much. I wanted to say what I didn't want to talk about on today's show. There's a lot of stuff going on in the Israeli political news, including the fall of a law that is renewed every five years that makes like Judea and Samaria come under the jurisdiction of Israel in, in terms of all kinds of legal matters, right? right? And it fell, meaning to say it was not renewed because the opposition, which are more right pro way, Judea yeah. and Samaria, voted against the law to help together with haters of Israel yeah, it's in the weird. in the uh, joint list, um, joint Arab list, uh, but they voted against the coalition and the law fell, uh, which is like part of the crazy thing of um, 
of uh, what's it called? This kind of democ- parliamentary democracy right. that we have. And so, and so uh, now the Washington Post called me. And they wanted to do an interview about this topic, about how this is going to affect Judea and Samaria. And I told them, I'm not interested in talking about this so much. Oh, and so that I-24 also called me wow. to talk about it. And I said to them, I'm not really interested in talking about this. Uh, it, these are political games, machinations in the field of the Knesset. And uh, the Knesset has its own rules. It won't come probably to anything bad. They'll find workarounds or they'll pass the law in a different way. Or this government will fall and they'll reconstitute the government in a different way, either through reconstitution of the government as uh, from the numbers that, that exist in the Knesset or a new election, whatever it is. I just said, you know, and, I, and then I walked to synagogue this morning to the Beit Knesset and I saw the, 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 the newspaper, the Makori Shonen. And, and you know what, Malka? I just thought to myself, you guys demand too much attention. You guys should be more like civil servants. What, the Knesset? The Knesset. Get uh, together. Yeah, they should be a little bit more civil servants. That right. would be great. Get together, do your stuff, pass the laws, make sure everything's humming along. But like, I don't need to, you are not my sports. I do not need to follow you day in and day out. And I think to myself, like, I was listening to the radio, same thing. I was like, we give these people too much attention. Well, let's be, yeah. The media also thinks that that's spicy. So they print it. Right. But then when you actually think about it, it's like you guys have a never ending attention. That's what one thing I actually appreciate about modern media, like super modern media, this like age of podcasts and stuff is that I think that people who want to can disconnect themselves a little bit more from like the mainstream news, which is so playing us and like using us for clicks. We're like, they're widgets, right? Like we're like, they use us for clicks. They use us for ad revenue. They use us like for views. Like it's just, you know, the old saying on the internet, if it's free, then you're the product. You're the product. You're, you're the one who's being delivered. And it's like, it's like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to play your game. You guys, Go on and hum along and do your little thing. Well, in the meantime, we got things to build and do in this good land. And just, I mean, they're supposed to be doing those good things. I, and if they do them, then yasher koach, then God bless you. In the meantime, I'm not going to take every moment of my life to think about which math, how do we reconstitute the government this way, that way, what he said, she said. I, you know, it's just like, I, just like I, I guess I'm too busy. I guess I'm too busy doing what I think are real things in building the land of Israel. And and I, I want you to know my, we were on the we were on the beach the other day yeah, and there was a guy he had turned leathery brown <laughs> in the sun like a real it was like a stereotype he was like a burnt marshmallow he he was caught all the way he went all the way from not that brown to very very brown right in front of our eyes and he was reading a newspaper, a Ma'ariv newspaper, which is like the super old schoolist, like labor party type newspaper ever. And he read that thing. He was sitting near us on the beach. He read that thing for like four hours. He was just reading that newspaper. And I, I, we passed each other because of a certain incident. We started talking about something. We started talking about politics and he just started spilling to me back all the stuff from the paper. Go ahead, tell the story. That's how they... No, tell the story. Okay, I'll tell you the story. We were in the water. Right. And uh, Ashkelon is relatively near to Gaza. And so I started hearing booms. Boom, boom, boom. Now, I don't know. I was just like, that's weird. And then after a while, it was like a lot of them, like boom, boom, boom. And I was like, what is this? So I went over to these 
very, 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 very tan older men who were sitting on the beach. And I'm like, what is going on? And they're, they're like, it's practices. It's imunim. Okay. I don't remember what the next thing was, but basically we started talking about the government. And he was like very happy with the current administration. And he, oh, I remember what it was. He was very happy with the current administration because he said that we haven't been getting rockets into Israel since Bennett took office. That before that we were dealing with a lot of rockets from Gaza or we would have lulls and then sudden wars and then lulls and sudden wars. But with Bennett, we haven't had any wars. Mm -hmm. And isn't that good? And then I tried to even say at all what I thought about anything at all. And I would start to talk and then he would finish my sentence with words that I definitely was not going to say because I don't think those things. And he was accusing me like whatever. It became one of those things where like he looked at me and thought that he had sized me up based on the fact that like I have a scarf on and my husband has a beard. And like he figured he had had me completely figured out. In the meantime, he was so wrong and utterly just had nothing. He had no idea what he, religious people are, what religious people think. And re- that's a huge category, right? I, I haven't even gotten and into he made you to a the BB fact person, that I, right? yeah, I'm like, he's talking, he's like, well, under BB, under BB. I'm like, I'm not a BB person. I said that like six or seven times in the span of five minutes. Like we weren't talking very long. And, uh, and he was like, well, you, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're against Bennett cause you're like religious. I'm like, what? I'm like, he's like, well, you're against Bennett because you're living. I told him we live in a frat because like in Judean Samaria, he didn't visit you. That's what he told me, like really crazy stuff. And I was just like, whoa, like I can't say that I really understand the secular psyche here because I haven't been a secular person. I have been a secular person once, but I've never been a secular person in Israel. <clears throat> so I can't say that I'm like an expert on them at all. But this guy's pretty sure that he's an expert on me. Um, and he was like very, very, and he didn't, th- that was, that didn't even bother me so much that he wasn't an expert on me. I wouldn't expect him to be an expert on me. What bothered me is that he was very clearly did not want to hear anything I had to say. He right. didn't think he had anything to learn from me. Like I was very interested in his opinion. I wanted to hear where he's standing, where he's at, what he thinks and why, but he did not want to know why I think anything or why he, he had me nailed down. Uh, based on absolutely crazy parameters that he had established that were just so false and, and erroneous. Anyway, and as eventually I was just like, okay. He's like, you're like for like the fifth time he told me that I was um uh what's it called discriminatory against Bennett because of some personal flaw of mine. I was just like, okay. I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> That's it. Like, I was just like done. And he was kind of surprised, I think, actually. I like, I wasn't even angry. I was just like, this is not worth anything. Like, I go back to your Ma'ariv and I'm going to go back to my kids. And like, we're not, we're not achieving anything. Right. But he was surprised that you were like. He seemed a little surprised. He didn't say anything. We didn't speak after that at all. Uh, But not in like, I didn't care. I just like put him out of my mind. It wasn't like I was even like, he's so rude. Blah, blah, blah. I just didn't even have overly feelings just like this is a person who's like not interested in, in what's a, true no and having a no and having a civil conversation well but he, he could have yelled at me that wasn't a problem like i get it like israelis are like spicy and some of them curse at you and some of them whatever but like he didn't stop talking and that bothered me the fact that he didn't want to hear anything 
at all. He didn't have to acknowledge my space or like do any of the politenesses. That's not what I'm talking about. He just didn't want to even hear me. He wanted to tell me, including about me. And we had just met. Yeah. And I guess I guess that's what I also mean is that the newspapers and all that, they turn us into these like little mini combatants with the little information that we have that we gathered from that newspaper. And it gets right, we take person. their stuff and that's supposed to be our like talking our fodder, Right. And then we definitely need the next day's paper as well. You right. Know? So you can keep going. <laughs> I just, I just, I just, I'm like, no, 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 nope, no, no, no. I mean, it's important to know the issues and yes, there are issues of the day. Uh, but, but like, we should also be like, we should also be building our land, doing good things and, and raising our kids in joy and talking about the Torah portion. And, and, you know, and I'm not, I'm all about being involved in, in building the state of Israel, but don't allow yourself to get so hyped up in this stuff that you become combatants with other people over something that really you're not even changing. Do stuff to really change the world. That's what, that's, that's, that's what I'm. Uh, that, that's what I'm about. Just so I'll, I'll finish off with this. I just saw Jeremy Gimpel down at, at uh, under our house, and I was talking with him. He told me that uh, there's this area that's contested close to his farm, and the Arabs uh, like try to take over that area. And he went out with his son sheep herding there, but he took also his baseball mitts and was throwing a baseball around there. And some lady from the town of Ibeha Nachal looked out the window, and she's like, "Oh, here they come again! They're coming to fight with us." Then she's like. No, I, I think that's Jeremy Gimpel playing baseball. Playing baseball in that field. And she went and she talked to Hila Gimpel. She's like, I think Mashiach is coming. That's so they nice. saw and I just that's what I mean to say. Like sometimes we gotta go play baseball in the land of Israel and, and, and take the steps forward, bring our kids part of it, show people the light and the love and and and, and have a better attitude about it all. Our our po- here's here's my bottom line. Our politics are not representative of the great time that we're living in. Right. They are far below. They do not represent the greatness of the hour. And they are they they are they are small, petty, pasnished, little little tiny, you know, little angers as a, as a, as opposed to the great kindness of the time that we're living in. All right folks, you are listening to the Shai Fleischer show, Maka Fleischer. I want to thank you so much for joining thank me today you. on today's show. And I, unlike that man, the brown man on the beach, the man browning on the beach, yes. uh, unlike him, I really like hearing you. And I want you to know that Thank our you. listeners love hearing you. Uh, and I can hear collectively how people are like, that's right. <laughs> and I hear that all the time. People love having you on the show uh, and hearing you. So God bless you. And a Shavuot Tov and a Guten Zimmer. Yes. May we, can, may we continue on a great path. and Excellent health for everyone. That's right. A brachot. And that's right. To Esther and Mordechai, who the show is dedicated to. We have more parts of the show. We have first Ben Bresky. Uh, on uh, Rabbi Bartadura, and then uh, actually uh, a, a, an hour-long segment Whoa. of my talk uh, about the three pillars of Israel. Whoa. That's right. My full talk on the three pillars of Israel uh, to a group called Bridges for Peace. Bridges for Peace? Yeah, Bridges for Peace. Uh, and, and I really love speaking with them, and they're a great and very special uh, group that I speak to uh, once or twice a year. Uh, but this was a good talk, I thought, uh, about about how I understand what Israel is really made up of and how to argue for Israel in a healthy and strong way. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Thank you so much for being with me. More great stuff is in the way. Maka Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And lots of love. Stay tuned. Stay connected. We'll be right back. Today, we often talk about making Aliyah to Israel and what it means in terms of cost of living and career options. But what was it like back in the Middle Ages? 
Obadiah of Bartanura, 1445-1515, was an Italian rabbi best known for his popular commentary on the Mishnah and for helping rejuvenate the Jewish community of Jerusalem. He was named after the Italian city where he was born and known in Hebrew as Ovadia me Bartanura, one of the best known commentators on the Mishnah. When he moved to the land of Israel in 1487, he became instrumental in community affairs and helping refugees from the Spanish Inquisition. He was buried in the Mount of Olives Cemetery in Jerusalem, where people still visit his grave today. The following are sections from his published letters about his travels, translated into English in Letters from the Holy Land by Avraham Ya'ari, and Pathway to Jerusalem, the Travel Letters of Rabbi Ovadia of Bartanura, written between 1488 and 1490 during his journey to the Holy Land. Of all the cities here, it is most difficult to earn a living in Jerusalem. If a person is a craftsman, such as a refiner, blacksmith, weaver of linen, or a tailor, he can eke out a living. This is in great contrast to Damascus, Cairo, Alexandria, and Aleppo, where a person can earn as much as he desires, and one can really earn a great deal if one sets aside one's own language and speaks the Arabic language. But here, one can barely earn a living. The most lucrative craft is metalwork. However, food is not expensive here. This year, bread and wine are quite cheap, thank God. It appears to me that a person can support himself on ten ducats a year. On Tuesday morning, the 13th of Nisan, we left Hebron, which is a day's journey distance from Jerusalem, and came on as far as Rachel's tomb, where there is a round vaulted building in an open road. A little farther on, the sanctuary, the desolate house of our splendor, became visible, and at the sight of it we again made rents in our garments. We came as far as the gates of Jerusalem, and on the 13th of Nisan, 5248, at noon, our feet stood within the gates of the city. In another letter, Rabbi Ovadia describes his life living in Hebron, which he describes as having a better quality of living as compared to Jerusalem, which he found to be more run-down and of a lower socioeconomic status. When the Florentine ambassador came here with my lord's pleasant letters, I was not in Jerusalem, the holy city, for I had gone to Hebron and dwelt there many days. My stay there seemed somewhat dearer to me than at Jerusalem, for the Jews there are few and good, and not bad like the men of Jerusalem. They are about twenty households living in a closed courtyard, and no Ishmaelite or unclean man comes among them, and it is a tradition in all the country that it is better to be buried in Hebron than in Jerusalem. I have nothing new to tell my Lord today except that I meditate on the tombs of our saintly fathers, and every day I pray toward the temple, that thy peace may be as a river, and that thy fair house may have peace, and that the Lord may bless thee in all thy doings according to thy wish and the wish of thy servant. Ovadia, citizen of the holy city of Jerusalem, here, Hebron, 22nd of Tevet, 1490. In another letter, Rabbi Ovadia discusses meeting two Ethiopian Jews in Cairo, Egypt. Despite Rabbi Ovadia's description of Jerusalem as run down, he nevertheless chose to live there and helped establish social service organizations. 
His letters and descriptions of the Jewish communities of the Land of Israel and the Middle East are instrumental in our understanding of history. This has been a moment in Jewish history. All right, Maka, I hope you enjoyed. That was Ben Bresky talking about the Bartanura, Rabbi uh, Vadi Bartanura. Very interesting story. Thank you very much, Ben, for that in that segment. People really enjoy that. Uh, I want to go on to the next segment, which is my talk with Bridges for Peace about the three pillars of the state of Israel. Before we do that, let's thank some of our sponsors who make the show happen. Uh, first and foremost is the Jewish community of Hebron, and that is where the tomb of the forefathers and mothers, patriarchs and matriarchs, or the mamas and the papas, is located in the Jewish community of Hebron, keeps Hebron strong, keeps it safe and accessible and open to all. And we do a lot of work, including right now rebuilding the refurbishing, renovating the guest house and building 31 new apartments. So we're on big projects and you can help support all the things that we do one way or another, including security, tourism, education, all the stuff that we do. And that is through hebronfund.org. And you can uh, also avail yourself of the wonderful tourism opportunities that we provide uh, by joining our amazing Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum tours every Wednesday and even more dates in the summer. And that is found at hebronfund.org forward slash tour. So please join us there. I want to thank also the good folks at jns.org and also jewishpress.com. These folks put out great Jewish content news, pro-Israel news, Good information, good information, better information than the other sites, I dare say. I do recommend them. Uh, I also recommend the Ruth Sheva, Israel National News and Radio, where we, you and I worked many years ago. Uh, but these sites really make a difference in your understanding. Don't go to some of the main sites. They will just confuse you with their progressive agendas. Come to, come to these websites, jns.org, jewishpress.com, uh, and you're going to learn a lot and the truth and understand things uh, in a healthy way. Uh, so check out those sites. I also want to thank our, our food dispensary, our delightful uh, uh, restaurant on wheels, uh, none other than Prohibition Pickle, prohibitionpickle.co.il. Uh, it makes Shabbat fun for the Jews of the land of Israel and for non-Jews who need a little bit of that touch of, you know, maybe Arabs need a little bit of a little bit of herring, a little bit of, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a stickle mustard, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so check out uh, the this wonderful website, which is commendable. It's delicious on its own right. Just the website, prohibitionpickle.co.il. Uh, our wonderful Chaim is doing great work uh, in delivering, marketing, and, and producing. And now he's got a good friend of mine who's his chef, Ariel, my friend, my buddy Ariel, who's making wonderful food there. He was at Green the uh, the place that made these uh, delicious muffins, yeah, like like crazy caloric like awesome muffins, yeah, and well, you'll I, eat them anyway because they're so good. Whatever Ariel made is good for yeah. you, okay. And they had coffee that will send you to the sky. Okay? Yeah, you're going for like four days. Yeah, yeah, you're up. You're writing your dissertation. You're becoming a rabbi. You're also a lifeguard. You're also learning motorcycle tricks and all that after drinking one cup of coffee. But in any case. Um, uh, uh, now Ariel is working for ProhibitionPickle.co.il That's fun And that's great news So so great food is coming out of Judea uh, To the world And please go to that website And, and uh, you know I'm going to be home this Shabbat I'm just saying <laughs> You know And a delivery from Chaim would be great So if you want to sponsor that um, That would be wonderful um, What else? I think that's it in terms of sponsors uh, For today I also uh, There's also Jay Brick Making great uh, uh, Jewish Lego 
And Jay Brick is now in process of making. Oh, I forgot to send him pictures yesterday. Fooey. Fui Ratatouille. He was uh, working on uh, on. He's working on right now making a model of the Maratha Machpelah, the Tomb of the Patriarchs, really Matrix, cool. and, and I'm supposed to send him pictures of the trees and stuff around because he's making like a model, like a That's real, really neat. a cool Lego model. But he's got great Jewish Legos for you, so check them out as well. Uh, he's uh, he's a great sponsor of the show, and of course, the number one sponsor of the show is Hashem, God Almighty, Creator of the world, uh, you know, Master of Heaven and Earth, all that, um, at all, and he. <laughs> <laughs> and and we thank Hashem so much for the opportunity to be alive and to keep us healthy, strong. And we also, that's right, this show today is, uh, is dedicated to Esther and Mordechai, who both need refuash lema, like we talked about before. Um, and so we thank Hashem very much for the opportunity. And of course, He also gives us opportunity to connect with you. Uh, and, and you guys are the most important folks. Please uh, be part of our show uh, through just listening, sending, putting a five-star rating at least if there's more stars possible, do that. Yeah. Uh, send us an email. An email, yishayfleischer.com. Uh, send Maka your recipes. Only one person sent in a recipe last show. Okay. Uh, is that right? I think that's right. You got one recipe. I remember that. Um, uh, and and, um, and I really appreciated it. That's right. We need summer recipes for pina coladas. Okay? Ooh. Because if you like pina rain. colada, that's right. Okay. <laughs> so so I would like some, you know, a, a pina colada. Uh, and and I think just this morning our daughter Leah made a uh, a frothy zippy drink made in the ninja uh, with uh, with yeah a, I buy we go through a lot of frozen fruit up in here yeah we're frozen fruit monsters in this house uh, so if you have uh, ideas for green shakes etc uh, always appreciate that and of course you could also go and buy us a coffee through buymeacoffee.com forward slash yisha it's not really a coffee it's a figurative coffee not a literal coffee that way you support the show. One coffee is five bucks. It's like you listen to the show. We have a friend, Krista, who sometimes buys us 20 cups of coffee. She's awesome. Uh, really and, appreciate her. Yeah, and, and and we really appreciate you guys out there uh, of all the stripes and colors and different folks that listen to the show. Maka, thanks again for joining me. And right now, uh, let's get to um, my talk, which I think is going to be instructive, informative, and elucidating all of those uh, about what the pillars of the state of Israel is. My talk with Bridges for Peace. Here we go. Hey everybody, shalom. shalom. Great to see you. And when I say it's great to see you, I mean it's really great to see you because it's been three years. COVID was was something that uh, you, you talk about bridges. The bridge was cut, and we weren't able to to see one another and talk about these important issues. And uh, just uh, when 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 COVID first hit, the first thing I said was to my wife, I said, "This must be a sabbatical year." Not like seven sevens, not exactly, but like a spiritual sabbatical year. The whole world is just kind of yeah. having a sabbatical. Yeah. Because I put that in my mindset, we immediately had a great first COVID year. Mm-hmm. We had fun with the family all the time. It was just great. Really, it was good. To, like, I just remember it fondly. Uh, I know that's weird. And I, and I, of course, don't make, mean to make light of anybody who was sick or, or, or God forbid, that died. Uh, but still, for us in our nuclear family, it was a very special time. Uh, but then when it went into the second year, so people were like, where's your sabbatical year? I said, that's the jubilee year, okay? <laughs> 49th year plus the next 50th jubilee year, you know, two years in a row of sabbatical year. Uh, and, and guess what? After two years, it's done, and we're back. And we're back to business, maybe rested a little bit, um, maybe wiser a little bit, maybe less wise a little bit. Uh, but we're back. So it's great to be here. 
And I do want to thank Bridges, uh, Bridges for Peace, an organization that I have worked with for a long time. And I heard that Rebecca, after a long and illustrious career here in the land of Israel, is switching out to an international role, an uh, international director role, going back to America after many years here. So we want to thank her for her amazing service. And we want to, that's right. And we want to uh, bless uh, uh, Peter. Where is he? There he is. For a, uh, to follow in the big footsteps and to do great things and to keep going. And, and good luck living in Israel. I mean it. You're going to need it. Anyway, <laughs> no, so <laughs> I want to thank Becca and Nathan, all the folks that, that make everything happen. I also want to recognize the national directors that are here. Raise your hands, please, national directors. Okay, wonderful. And also board members that are here. And folks, international directors, there's also all kinds of folks from different places. I already had a, a very interesting conversation with uh, this lady. What's your name, ma'am? Pamela. Pamela from South Africa. Already came up with some ideas about how to move forward. Um, I want to, as much as possible, be a resource for you. And uh, uh, a resource in the sense that sometimes uh, Pamela and I were already talking about how to help South Africans have a different perspective on Israel. South Africa has a long history with Israel, a lot of it negative, which is weird because, you know, Jews were highly involved in, 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 uh, in getting rid of apartheid in South Africa. Uh, but there's a lot of other history there. And uh, I even wrote a big article about uh, Desmond Tutu and, and what he managed to do, which I think was very bad for us. We talked a little about, about that. And you know, sometimes it's good to do some brainstorming because sometimes what works, uh, for example, I told Pamela, she told me that, that her idea and the idea that they're moving forward is bringing more Israel-South Africa cooperation and in general in Africa and showing everybody that Israel is a good guy state and we can work together. And I told her that in my opinion, in my opinion, that's good, very good, but it will not necessarily help people make the leap between Israel's a good country and Israel's not an apartheid, land thieving, ex you know, et cetera, et cetera, I recommended to Pamela to also make a video saying, look, Israel is doing good for Africa, but also somebody's out there using the apartheid narrative to get to your emotions and to cause you to hate Israel. There are haters out there that are using these points that are sensitive to us. Be aware of that. So I'm just, why am I telling you this is because it's useful to communicate, and I, um, uh, your previous speaker is, a, is an a, amazing uh, guy, Neil, um, but I come at it from a different perspective. Uh, not, not so much that it's different, it's just that it's, it's like a different angle, and it comes also from the strong Israel, the so-called settlers, you know, the Jews live in Judea and Samaria, uh, and especially Hebron, where I'm at, you know how to be tough and how to approach it with a little bit more, you know, and sometimes that works and sometimes that may help you. So I want to be a, a, a resource for you uh, throughout. So, you know, you, you can get my number and certainly my email and, and be connected if, if you want to discuss because you're out there in the field in places like Wales, right? And it's like Yay. Wales, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like go explain Israel to Welsh people, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, and, and, and so one bad guy with a, with a bad narrative and a bad video, you know, there you go. The, the narrative is, uh, is, uh, is, is hurt. Okay, well, I want to talk a little bit about how a good narrative works a little bit. And I'm going to leave a lot of time for your questions. And I love questions, so get them ready, okay? I want to tell you a little story. 
the story and the talk of today's talk is called the three pillars of the state of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel. I want to tell you a little story about uh, German journalists who came to see me. Do we have any Germans in the room today? Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. I know it's Israel, but still it's okay. So these German journalists came to see me. And they said to me, why are you guys in Hebron? So I said to them, the first thing I said to them was, you know, the Bible. And they were like, 3,300 year old book? That's what you guys are about? And, and I'll go on in a second, but the point is I started realizing there's a total disconnect between a lot of different kind of folks and the basics of Israel. I've boiled it down to a more scientific system so we can understand why so many people just don't understand Israel. And there's really three pillars that Israel is based on and three pillars that these German journalists did not understand. So the first one was the Bible. Now, the Bible is actually more than just God's word. It's also a story of a history of a people in the land. So in many ways, the Bible is also a kind of record of indigeneity. Indigeneity. Uh, and it could be split into the indigeneity narrative. The Jewish people are from here. They've always been here. And there's also a divine rights narrative, as in God grants this land to the Jewish people. Now, that narrative, uh, both of those narratives, served people like Lord Balfour, Arthur Balfour, who, who had been hearing the Bible in his bed and he's, as he was going to sleep every night of his life. His mom read them. They would finish the Bible in a year. He was steeped in the Bible steeped also in the ideas of restorationism, which is that let's help Israel restore, the Jewish people restore to, be restored to the land of Israel. And he also had a certain bit of Christian um, wanting to repent for a checkered history. All those things. Then, there, then later on in his life, there was also some real uh, 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 agendas that, that the Jewish people would help the British Empire, including protecting the Suez Canal, uh, including uh, uh, being a buffer against, uh, you know, Turkey. Up there. Anyway, bottom line is that it fit in other ways. But my point is to you is the Bible fit for people like Balfour on both a divine and an indigenous historical rights of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. So Balfour came out with the Balfour Declaration, 1917. And if you read the Balfour Declaration, and if you read the later 1920 San Remo Accords, which was the disposition of the lands that were liberated from the Turkish Empire. They were talking there about creating a Jewish state, and they said that they recognized, recognized Jewish rights in the land of Israel because of the Bible, because of the history of the Jewish people. They didn't grant, but recognized. So here I am sitting across from these German uh, uh, reporters, and I say to them, the Bible, you know, Abraham purchased property in this land, and Caleb, he came here against the other, other spies. King David, he was king here in Hebron for seven years before he moves to Jerusalem. This is the capital of the people of Judah, and we have a 2,000-year-old building here built by King Herod, and here it is. Our history is here, our identity is here. So they look at me like, 
Bible. And here's what they didn't say, but what their eyes said to me. We're post-Bible. We're post-God. We're, but that's the way it is if you go to Germany today. If you go to Western Europe, and, and you can read this in all the articles, they don't go to church anymore. They don't teach the Bible. The Bible is fuddy-duddy to them. Old, old stuff. What are you, hitting women on the head with a club and dragging them into a cave? What are you talking about the Bible? What is this, a joke? The, they're post-God, post-Bible. And so here I am being like, yeah, the Bible. It looks like just a, you're just looking at a crazy person. I'm like, yeah, we're here because of the Bible, because we're the people of the Bible. Bible. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me regroup here. I'm sure I can figure out something else I could say to them that'll work. Hold on. I know. There's a second pillar. So the first pillar is Bible. The second pillar is nationalism. Nationalism. Now, thankfully not all of us here are American because Americans don't always understand nationalism. The American word for nationalism is similar. It's a little different, though. It's called patriotism. Okay, patriotism is a substitute for nationalism because America is not a nationalist country. Are there people from Japan here today? Okay, is Japan a national state? Is it for Japanese people? Yes. <laughs> the majority, vast majority, overwhelming majority of people there are Japanese of Japanese ethnicity, Japanese language, identify themselves as Japanese, and can you just go there if I, let's say, you know what, I love Japan, I love Tokyo. The truth is I've never been to Japan and I really want to go very badly. Always want to go, me and my wife, it's, it's, it's a goal. But I have no real reason to go to Japan, okay? But, uh, okay, you know what I mean? I, I, I gotta figure out what reason to get out there, but anyway, um, anyway. No, Japan is a national state. It just doesn't need to define itself as that because it's an island national state. It just is. And if I wanted to move to Japan, would I get Japanese citizenship? No. They will not grant you Japanese citizenship because I'm not Japanese. So, uh, and that's okay because many countries in the world are actually like that. What other countries are like that? What are national states? Ireland's a, a national state. Uh, the Czech Republic... No, France is more like America today. It's a, it's a state that will give you, it used to be a national state, but not anymore. Um, you know, uh, all the Arab countries, um, Armenia, for example, the Pol Poland, Poland, you won't think of it, but have you, have you ever visited Poland? It's a very nice country, actually. And, uh, and it is a Polish people state. It's a Christian Polish country. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Most of the countries in the world, not most, about half the countries in the world are national states. National states. Israel is a national state. It's the national state of the Jewish people. It's meant to be a protectorate. It's meant to be a small autonomous zone for Jews to defend this minority people in this world who have been persecuted throughout the globe and have returned to their homeland and are supposed to control and protect their borders so that their group, their ethnicity, and also I'll explain the difference. There's a difference between ethnicity and, and our nation or nationality. Why? Because within our ethnicity, there's also other people who are not part of our ethnicity, but are part of the team, part of the story. What am I talking about? Like, for example, the Druze. 
the Druze. They're an Arabic-speaking, non-Muslim minority, but they're part of our nation because they support our story, support our nationalism. So, now for some of you, this makes perfect sense. And for others of you, you're not exactly understanding it because a lot of you guys are from Western countries, American-style countries, which is fine, which is beautiful. You know, when I'm in America, I like to go to Brooklyn. I like Brooklyn. Anybody from Brooklyn around here? No, Bridges for Peace, not from Brooklyn. All right. Uh, you go to Brooklyn, and it's like a hodgepodge. It's Italians and Asians and, and, and blacks and Jews. And it's, just, and it's beautiful. There's a beauty to it. But it's a special place, America. Most countries in the world uh, are actually ethnic national states. Okay? And all the countries around us, for all the countries around us, if it's Egypt or whatever, they are mostly national states. They have minorities, but national states. So now, when I'm speaking to the German, uh, the German uh, uh, reporters, I say to them, nationalism. They say, what? Nationalism? We're post-nationalist. We don't believe in borders. Borders? We believe in one global currency, certainly one European currency. We don't believe in borders. We believe in free migration. You're like so backwards with your borders and your, and your, 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 your specific language and your specific calendar and your specific ethnicity in your little land. It's so regressive in their mind. And I'm like, no. There's nothing more beautiful in the world than ethnic peoples living in their ancestral land, practicing their ancestral religion, using their ancestral currency, their ancient currency, having their ancient calendar and their other language and all that kind of stuff. The Iran, Iran is a great example of a national state, although they have tons of different minorities amongst them, but it's basically Persian Shiite folks that live in that country. There's like 50 other kinds of peoples that live there, but mostly it's Persian Iranian people, and it's an ancient peoples living in a land. Indian folks, do we have anybody from India here today? Okay, India has many different languages, but still we're talking about uh, uh, an Indian national state. Okay, point is, is that when I'm talking with uh, uh, German journalists, and I say nationalism, and you, do, do you know what Germans think when you say nationalism? You say nationalism, they say, what do they say? I say, we're a nationalist state, what do they say? Right, they're like, they're like, they're like, oh, you mean socialist, social nationalism? You mean Hitler? You mean, you, you mean the Nazis? I say to them, no. Hitler wasn't a nationalist. He was an imperialist. He was a supremacist who wanted to rule the world and get rid of other nationalities. Nationalists believe in the rights of other nationalities to live in their lands. Just like we do, nationalists are not imperialists. They don't want to take over other people's lands. We want to live in our ancestral land. Our borders are quite well defined from the Bible and from history. So, no. so you're talking to a German and you're like, nationalism, he's like, you want to be a Nazi? So the German's looking at me, I'm like, I'm the Nazi. You know, you're like, uh, no, uh, but, but that is the problem. So, oh no, two pillars. Two pillars of talking with German reporters just fell out, bottomed out, from my uh, uh, explanation of what Israel is. Israel is a Bible state, they're post-Bible. Israel is a national state, they're post-nationalist. Okay, okay, wait a minute, last one. Last one. Israel is a defense state. It's a defensive state. It's a country that's post-Holocaust, 
we believe in no, no longer allowing ourselves to be bullied, and therefore we have guns, and we train to fight, and we are post-Holocaust, and we also know that we're in the Middle East, which is a rough place. Why did you put us here, God? Couldn't you put us in Hawaii? It's nice there. No, he's the boss. What are you going to do? And he says, I want you to live in the Middle East. But the Middle East is a rough place with tribal consciousness, tribal thinking, tribal values, and, and a quick identification if you're weak or strong. If you're weak, we'll scoop you up. And there's only two kinds of minorities in the Middle East, armed minorities and unarmed minorities. What happens to unarmed minorities? Nothing good, okay? That's what happens to Yazidis and generally Christians in the Middle East. They're all on the run, including Arab Christians. They are unarmed minorities. They've become disarmed for various historical reasons. That is not good for them. Armed minorities, who are they? Well, let's just give one other example. The Kurds of North, of North Iraq, the Northern Iraq Kurdish region. The Kurds are Muslim, but they are not Arab. And they are persecuted by the Turks, the Syrians, and the Iranians. They got enemies on all sides. They speak all those languages. We have always, the Jews, been friendly with the Kurds. To this very day, we have a good relationship with the Kurds. Always have been. I've spoken to old Jews who've lived amongst Kurds. They've always told me, the Kurds and us, we have a way. We just have a good relationship. The Kurds have an army. It's called the Peshmerga. The Peshmerga. And these guys are like, I think it means like those who stand against death or something like that. They're, they're tough. And they got like Peshmerga women fighters. And they're all, you know, they're like, Arr! and they're not going to allow the various jihadist Muslims to eat them away. And guess what? If you go today to their cities and areas, they're thriving, or at least succeeding. Why? Because they're an armed minority. Well, guess what? The Jews are also an armed minority. One time, I met a Kurdish activist in Washington, D.C. In Washington, it's a lot of fun. You meet all kinds of folks. And in Washington, him and I were, were having coffee like this. And I said, to, I said to him, he's talking to me about the Kurdish plight as against the Iranian regime. And I said to him, this was the greatest moment. I said to him, you know what your problem is? If you would only give away more of your land, you would have peace. And he goes, ha, <laughs> ha, And I said, ha, ah. We just laughed. See, not everybody in the room laughed. But he laughed immediately because he knew that I was joking about such an absurd thought that if I give away more land to the jihad, they're going to make peace with me. What a laughter. Two Middle East guys laughed in Washington, D.C. How absurd this, this non-Middle Eastern idea is, if you just give up more land for peace, you'll have peace from the jihad. Of course, him and I understood immediately how silly that is and how we have to defend ourselves because him and I are both uh, uh, Middle East uh, uh, minorities, armed Middle East minorities. Now, say that to a German journalist. Arms? What, like guns? 
ghost defense. We're not into that. That's so violent and toxic masculinity. You know, it's just, ew. You know, what, you want to handle these pistols and stuff and shoot people and, oh my God, it's like crazy American movies. Who needs that? You know what I mean? We're post-defense and we're certainly post-Holocaust. I'd rather not talk about it. You know, because it like, you know, it's, you know, come on already. You know, you're beating a dead horse. You know, you're talking about the Holocaust again. You know, which is like a ethnic cleansing, a genocide, you know, that happened 70 years ago. But look, like, like, let's get over it, you know what I mean? Yeah, we killed six million, but let's, come on, let's, let's move ahead, you know? So, uh, you know, and don't be such a, don't be so stuck on that six million people murder thing. Uh, and they didn't say it, they wouldn't say it, but, you know, you could sense. And you certainly know that they are post-defense, post uh, 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 that consciousness, and they also don't really recognize the challenges of the Middle East, because they themselves are non-Middle Eastern people, they, they live in a different kind of atmosphere in Western Europe. So, here I am trying to talk to these guys about what I understand are the pillars of Israel, the Bible, be it either divine rights or indigenous rights, nationalism or patriotism, they're post-nationalist, post-patriot, and, uh, uh, and defense and the Middle East and the Holocaust, that grouping, they're post all those things. And so I understood I have nothing that I'm, I'm relating to them on. Now, I also understood the flip side of that, which is, if you're post-God, post-national, oh, I forgot to say, post-national is also related to another phenomenon, which is the family. Nationalism means, I love my people, I love my tribe, I love my country, and I'm going to have babies and raise them in that consciousness, okay? I'm going to be in the making families. Israel stands for nationalism slash the family. Israel's a family country. But in Europe, they're post-family. They're basically post-binary definitions of men and women. And they're post-making babies. We know that that's empirical fact. They are, they're, they're dropping. So they're post-God, they don't go to church. They're post-family, they don't get married. The leaders of Western Europe are an unmarried people. Okay, Angela Merkel, unmarried, no kids. Think about that. In Judaism, you are not allowed to be the leader of the prayers on Yom Kippur unless you're married with children. Because if you're not married with children, then do you really understand what it means to pray for the family and for the tribe? Do you, you know, because you know, like, children is the biggest liability you have. And you like to feel that feeling and to, and to be a person who, who prays for, for the family. What's that? Responsible. Yeah, responsible. Good. So... Uh, so where was I? So, um, right, so, oh, so when they look at Israel, what do they see? God, fam family nationalism, tribalism, and war defense and Holocaust. So there's nothing about it that they like. There's nothing about it that they like. It's not attractive to them. It, like every, now, Israelis want to... They want to do a little trick. They want to be like, don't worry about that stuff. We're the high-tech country. See, we're the high-tech. Don't worry about the Bible, the family, the defense. Let's put that to the side. Ta-da, we are the high-tech country. And yet, yeah, we, we are a high-tech country, and there are others. Uh, but yes, there's, uh, there's a, a natural tendency towards science and technology here. Fine. And yes, Israel's come up with a few good things. Yes, absolutely. And yes, if you want to focus on that, there is a lot of... Uh, a business and, 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 and uh, you know, forward momentum of that. But you can't hide it under the rug 
that Israel stands for God. And a lot of the secular Israelis, they don't see that. They're just like, this is south of France. This is fine. This is Tel Aviv. This has nothing to do with the Bible. But you know what? Everybody else sees it. The country is about God. Israel is about God. If you don't like it, it's still about God. And it's about family. And it's about nationalism. And it's about defense. So if you don't like those things, which these German folks... And the reason I'm telling you the story about the German folks is because like, I wrote an article about it. It was a big aha moment for me. Because I started realizing I'm talking to them and they're like, give me this blank face. Oh, it reminds me. One time I had another a group of Europeans and they said to me, well, why are you here? I said, you know the Bible. They're like, oh, the Bible, whatever. So then, so, then I, so then I said to them, well, you know, the Bible for us is like the Iliad for you. You know? So they're like, I'm like, the Odyssey and the Iliad. They're like, what? I'm like, you know, Homer, the Odyssey, the Iliad. I studied it in, in Jewish school. I studied about the Odyssey and the Iliad. They're like, who? I'm like, oh, I must be mispronouncing it. I'm like, Homer. I go to the Russian. I'm like, Gomer. You know, I'm like, I'm trying everything until I figured out they don't know what I'm talking about because they are post-classics. They're post. They're not into that. They're not into the foundations of European culture. I'm like, holy moly. I'm going to talk to them about the Bible. They don't even know Homer. They're not into it. They're not into it. They're not into it. So now here's another flip side, which is going to a different place called Texas. My wife is from Texas. I end up going to Texas a lot. I walk around Texas. I am like a star. I just walk into a store. People are like, there's a Jew from Judea. And I like everything about him. Because that man right there, that man, he is for God and Bible. He's for nationalism and patriotism. I could see it on him. And he's for guns and defense. I go to Texas. I'm telling you, I'm a star over there. I'm telling you. I go, I go to the pool. People come to talk to me. People just seem that my, my boys have these, uh, the side, like people come up to me. Mormons come up to me. People come to they just want to shake my hand, talk to me, ask me questions, and understand everything. And I'm like, and at first I was like, what is, what is about this? What, what, why do people like me here so much? And I realized that Texans are connected on these three pillars. These three pillars makes every one of them. Every one. The Bible. Now, Texas is not, don't, I don't, not all of you are from America. Not all of America is like that. Texas is Bible. They live the Bible. It's important to them. It's important. It's, it's in the airport. It's, a, it's there. It's there. I mean, you'll go to, you'll, you'll go to Texas. You're driving down a, a nowhere road. And there's a trucker driving past you, and he's got the flag of America and the flag of Israel. You know? So, so, I, 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 was, I, was, I was driving, I was driving on a nowhere road, and, and this guy was selling carpets and flags. If you've ever been to Texas, these people sell their own flag. The flag of Texas is everywhere. Everywhere. You've never seen a, a state that like is more like has its own, it has its own flag, and that flag is everywhere. And it has the flag of America, it has the flag of Texas. And he's flying, all, and they have other flags. This yellow flag with a snake says, don't tread on me. They have all kinds of flags. They have a flag with an M16 on it. And it says, come and take it. That's what it says. Come and take it. That's what it says. <laughs> so, so I'm driving down the road, and there's a dude with these, like, with these, like, uh, uh, with these, uh, uh, what, what do you call them, um, flagpoles, thin ones, and he's selling flags. Anyway, I pull into his flag place. I'm looking, he's got like 20, 30 flags flying the wind. There it is, the flag of Israel. 
I said to him, I pulled her and I said to him, how you doing? He's like, hey, how you doing? Within a second, he realized who I was again. It's like, wow. I said to him, I want that flag. I want the flag of Israel. He goes, he, goes, he takes out a flag of Israel. So like, this is my present to you. Please find Israel. I said, I said, I'll take your present. Something that I learned over time, that when somebody gives you a present, just, just take it. Don't be like all like, no, no. Just let a person give, give the person the gift of the right to give you a gift. Anyway, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, so I said to him, fine, I'll take your present, but I want to buy two flags. Let me have uh, one of your flags, the regular flags of Texas, and give me the, give me the one with the M16. He goes, you need it. I'm like, yeah. He goes, he goes, you have a small country, you got to defend it, or else they're going to take it away from you. If you're not going to fight for it, they will. That's what he said to me. Last summer this happened. So I was like, God almighty, this guy could put him in the Knesset, and he can do better than 90% of the He's got it. Why? Why does he got it? Because, and, and, you know, what is it? It's simple. He actually understands these three pillars. He's for the Bible. He's for nationalism or an American patriotism. And Texas is practically a nationalism because they have, you know. But anyway, patriotism. And he's for defense. Okay. Now you go to a Jewish place, let's say, I don't know, Toronto or something. Or New York, whatever. So then it gets murkier. You know, you talk to a person, well, nationalism, not exactly. Bible, maybe. A little bit yes and a little bit no. And defense, maybe yes, maybe no. If I'm speaking in New York, it's one thing, but in San Diego, it's another thing. It, it depends on the culture, the culture. So Israel makes more sense to people when all three pillars are there. But when some pillars are missing, it either becomes lopsided or you have to focus on that thing, and, and, then, and then they'll understand you. Now, a lot of times we try to kind of find a way around these things, but really you won't. Really, you won't, because these are the real pillars of Israel. All the other stuff is, you know, is, um, is a kind of additive, you know, the high-tech stuff, the business stuff. Although, there are business people who, business is, is what, what, they're, what they're thinking. Like, well, I, if you've ever flown on an airplane between Tel Aviv and San Francisco and Silicon Valley, you hear in the plane, that's what they're talking about. They're talking the language of, of business. Okay, if you're, if you're in that. But most of the time, you will not bump into somebody that you can really you know, sell through the, the business aspect. In any case, those are the real three pillars of Israel. And you can't really get around it. Uh, and you've got you to find a way to present it. There's one more pillar, really. One more pillar. Uh, I usually reserve this for Jewish kids uh, because they have a problem with this pillar. And that is the following. I call this the three plus one. And you say, those are the real pillars, but there's another pillar. Uh, and it's like an extra pillar. And that pillar is the pillar of love. Love. I tell this to Jewish kids all the time. I say to them that I can speak to a, a liberal Jewish audience, and they will pummel me with an hour's worth of questions about Palestine. What about Palestinian rights? What about Palestinian this? What about Palestinian that? Pummel me. Pum and I say to them at some point, Whatever's, where's your love for Israel? We're building a Jewish country. We're still very much trying to get it off the ground. We're still working to make sure that everybody's fed and educated and safe. This is our big project. This is the one. This is the third, the third revival, the third commonwealth. This is the big one. And the enemies have done a number on trying to get you from thinking about the love of Israel to the love of something else. And if it's not that, then they add in another spice, which is the spice of fear. 
The enemy uses fear all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, write this down. Fear is a narrative. Fear is a narrative, and it is a very deep narrative. Because I don't have to talk to you about it. I don't have to teach you fear. I just have to broadcast it to you, and it goes in somewhere there. And, and, the, you know, and the husband says to the wife, do you really think we should go to Israel? And that, just that little question, is the success of the terrorists, the haters, okay? Or they'll try to, as in the case of, uh, of Pamela, they'll try to tie it into something else that's loathsome. They have a lot of techniques to make Israel look dark. Let me, let me remind you of a biblical story. Do you remember the biblical story of, uh, of Balak, King Balak and Bil'am? Is that, do I pronounce that in Christianese correctly? Balaam. All right. So, so if you recall, so if you recall, at some, so what about Balak? How, how's he pronounced? Balak. Balak. So Balak says to Balaam, he says to him, let me take you, he says this a few times, let me take you to a hilltop where you will only see the edge of them and you'll be able to curse them. Why does he say this? Uh, you'll only be able to see the edge of them and you'll be able to curse them. Why does he say that? He says that a few times. Why? What is the meaning of that? The edge, you'll see the edge. And, and then at the end, what happens is he sees the hole and he blesses the Jews. What is that all about? So let me explain to you what that means in today's language. What it means is, what I need to do is find a clip on the video. That clip is a small clip of a soldier smashing the head of somebody, okay? An Israeli soldier. Now take that video, the edge, a small part, and make it big. Oh, you see, that's Israel. That's Israel. It's an abusive country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is a negative Israel. That's your image. That's all you have to see. Wait a minute. What if we pan out? Oh, Israel is actually the most rights-given country in this whole area. Oh, Israel's under attack for the last 100 years of its, of its efforts and existence. It's always been under attack. See the big picture. Oh, the big picture? Oh, you'll bless Israel. See the small picture? And you will curse Israel. That is the trick. That was the trick that he pulled. That's what he was saying to him. And at the end, what does he see? He says, and now he, see, he saw the whole of Israel, and he blessed the tents of Israel because he saw the whole picture. So our enemies have a lot of tricks to uh, uh, darken the image uh, of Israel. Um, and they are out there because they have realized that they cannot defeat Israel on the level playing field of combat they have decided that instead they're going to besmirch Israel and distance all of her friends from her and castigate her alone uh, and remove her sheen, right? Because the light of Israel, holy cow, God is doing amazing things. The thing that he promised to Abraham 3,500 years ago is happening in our time. There it is. Jerusalem is being built. Holy cow, that is the greatest revelation of God in, 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 that has been seen since the splitting of the Red Sea. That's the most, that's, there he is. He's God, look, the land of Israel is flourishing. The Jews are coming back. There's no greater revelation than that. Wow. Oh, so in order to fight that, let's just pour garbage on all of it. Israel's bad. It's apartheid state and it's an occupier and all that. And they just spill garbage on it, hoping to get everybody to just say, just look away. There's nothing to be seen here. Just another bad, you know, white occupying country, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So that is what the enemies of Israel are about. And that's also why it's so imperative for me to speak with you. And I so much honor the fact that you've come from all over the world to fight that tendency of the spilling of the garbage in Israel, of the darkness that they want to put in Israel. And this room 
is people who want to feel the light of Israel and spread the light of Israel. That is what you're doing here. And that's really an amazing and beautiful thing. Um, and we have our work cut out for us. So let me, let me finish up my talk part by just saying, uh, today, I deputize you. I want you to know that today you're becoming soldiers for Israel. Uh, that's a big deal. When you leave this place, I, when you leave this conference and you leave Israel, I don't want you to be like, I learned a lot. I don't want you to say that, okay? I learned a lot is good. I learned a lot means I got. No, you are trained a lot, okay? And you're ready to get out there and to fight. And when you get out there and fight for the truth and the light and the honor of God and the honor of Israel, the, 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 the light of God in Jerusalem, you will feel a tremendous energy pulsating through you because you will have truth, truth, capital T, truth, admit, you will have God's truth with you and you will realize what a battlefront it is out there what, and how much hate there is out there. I just put out a video of Jews moving into a building that we bought, fair and square in Hebron. It was seen 1.2 million times on Twitter, okay? And the comments are hate, 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 just pages of hate. And you're like, wow. And I'm like, I'm a nice guy. How is it that so many people hate me? Uh, because they hate God. They, they are post-God, post-nationalist, post-family, post-defense, and they want to get rid of Israel for various internal you know, needs. And so I want to deputize you and bless you to be warriors out there. Uh, and may God succeed you and give you strength. And may you feel that the opportunity of fighting for God and for Israel in your time is the greatest gift of them all. We don't even have to win, because God will win. But we have to be those fighters. So thank you very much. Now uh, let's, uh, let's deal with your questions. Uh, and, uh, and you can ask me tough questions, whatever you want. Um, and, and really in any range of topics, uh, including uh, issues in uh, Judaism, Israel, whatever you want to talk about. Will you please... Uh, you tell me where you're from. Oh, but, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Heinrich from uh, Australia, Western Australia, Perth. Been there. I spoke in Perth. No, I spoke in Perth. I came out of the airplane. I'm like, what is that? Oh, fresh air. I never... <laughs> that was the freshest, cleanest air I ever had in my life. It's supposedly the... It's the city that's the most uh, remote in the... Like, modern city remote in the world. It's like the closest New York City is Jakarta or something. And it's like, wow. That amazing, amazing air in, in, in Perth, and I enjoyed it. So, good to see you. Right, just as... Uh, just when there were no bushfires. There was no... Bu that was pre-bushfires. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a great place to live. But, yeah, my question is... If I was a Gentile, I would consider living in Perth. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, I have a calling, so I'm here. Yeah. So, um, my question is, will you please pray for us as we go and fight the good fight out there? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's really easy to pray for you because I pray for myself. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm out there on the front lines uh, with all kinds of uh, enemies, and I ask God all the time to give us strength, uh, to know the right things to say, to be courageous out there and to not be cowardly and not be too addicted to our own comforts and our own bourgeois uh, because those are blessings. They should not be used against us as curses that keep us down and keep us quiet when we should be standing up. 
And I pray that we, when we succeed, we're never too haughty, that we always do it for the light of God and for the honor of God and not for our own honor. And that we pray that we don't get ensnared in physicality and in desire, that wanton desire, and in materialism that, 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 that surrounds us and slows us down to do a spiritual mission. And I pray for all of us that our eyes will be clear to be able to see God's presence in this world. He doesn't want to reveal himself totally. He wants us to see him and follow him in faith. And may we see that Jerusalem is his revelation. Uh, and may we take the, the spirit uh, of, um, of what we do here in Jerusalem and help the whole world raise up, rise up to the level of Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go. That was an easy one, right? May, we, may God hear our prayers, of course. You know, you're never supposed to say, you know, I had a great prayer. You're supposed to always say, if only God would only hear us. We have to always do it in humility. Tremendous amount of humility. Tremendous amount of humility. But at the same time, not too much humility that we're like, oh, somebody else could do it. No. You have to have humility to know that God is giving you strength, but at the same time, have the chutzpah, you know, the, 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 the forward audaciousness to be out there and be, like, loud and proud. It's a tough, it's a tough balance. It's a tough balance. But I, I dare say that sometimes the Satan will actually keep us too much in too much humility. It's easy to, you know, stay the course. I don't want to make a scene, you know. And, 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 and sometimes you, you just see sometimes somebody, you know. And there's easy, easy things you could do to keep yourself strong. Uh, I recommend, first thing, putting up a picture that you, sh that you sh photographed here in Israel. Blow it up and put it in your house. I always recommend that. Make something, make something in Israel in your life. Um, I don't know, some people, some Christians drink wine and some don't, but if you do, you know, um, get a product of something from the land of Israel. Wine is good if, if you're into that. And, 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 and drink it, not so that you support Israel, but so that Israel's in your veins. That you, that you drink the same water that Elijah drank, you know, and that it's with you. It's with you. And there are products even in Australia, and you can certainly order today, you know, something, something that it's in your cellular structure, you know what I mean? So that's inside of you. Um, and of course, uh, coming, coming here, coming to visit, and that's what the prophet Zechariah tells us, that the Gentiles will come uh, on the festival of, um, of, of booths, of Sukkot, and come and, and, and pay homage to the God of Israel. I think it's the end of uh, Zechariah, maybe 13. And, um, and, and, you know, like the Muslims, they have like a hajj. You know, they make a pilgrimage to Mecca. They, if they do it one time in life, they're called a hajji, you know, like a certain person did it. And I, 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 I think that we all have to do what you're doing right now and come to the land of Israel, get recharged. And finally, uh, focus on the children. Focus on the children. Focus on the children. Focus on the children. Teach them the Bible. Read them from the Bible. Make them love the stories of the Bible. Better that they get the you know, uh, the more, uh, you know, better that they get the stories contentious and issuey. Better that they get it from the Bible than they get it from Netflix, okay? Better that they read about Sodom from the Bible than get it taught positively on Netflix, okay? And, 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 and the Bible's written in a way that it's like edgy enough that you could tell it to the kids, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I, of course, uh, is, being a Jewish rabbi, I highly recommend that the Old Testament be a, 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 a heavy part of your uh, curriculum. Yeah. Uh, I think, I submit to you, that the Old Testament is full of conflicts uh, and, and moral issues and just 
to read it to the kids and let them think about it. Ask them. Don't tell them. Ask them, well, what do you think? Was it right for Rebecca to dress Jacob uh, in, the, in the sheepskin and bring him to Isaac? Was Isaac really fooled? What was the tension there? Was he right to steal his brothers? Uh, work it out with the kids. It's better than Netflix. And let them talk about it. And you'll see that from year to year, they'll have another level and another understanding of it. So the, the Bible is a, is a, is a great way to, uh, to get the kids part of the story. Go ahead, sir. Uh, Where are you from? I'm from uh, Florida. Um, I appreciated uh, your teaching and bringing up the three pillars, including nationalism. Um, I, when I was, um, when you talked about Texas, it reminded me of when I was here during the week when the embassy was moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, because I felt that same spirit of Texas and Jerusalem toward that our administration under Trump and the fact that he had the boldness to actually move the embassy. And of course, Jerusalem was celebrating that wonderfully. I was like, here were the other, a hundred other patriots and I, it was amazing. And uh, it was really heartwarming and inspiring and all that. Um, and it was, you know, when you bring up nationalism, I love the way you explained it, that there are so many countries that have that, right? And uh, during President Trump's administration, he brought nationalism into view and boy, it was like starting a fire. Because I realized too, when he did that, that most Americans do not understand it. And that's an observation more than it is a question. Maybe you can comment on that. But it, it, it did something in me personally to go, wow. You know, this reminds me of the slippery slope that we're on. And, and I appreciated his boldness to even bring it into view in spite of all the criticism he got for even saying it. Great. So, um... Uh, th that was, of course, a, an amazing uh, day, an amazing, amazing uh, moment of the recognition of the uh, United States' recognition as Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and the moving of the embassy there. So, uh, uh, you know, a few things. First thing is that, uh, you know, we're not here to talk politics per se, uh, but I can tell you that for me, uh, and I was actually, somebody here in the audience reminded me that I was speaking uh, at Bridges for Peace when President Trump got elected. I was in the room. Okay. And you know, and I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what, my soul knew even more than my, in my, than my mind that something great had happened. Look, I'm not here to comment on American politics. I'm here to comment about Israel. For us, this was a very important four years with much achieved and much moved forward. I myself had various roles to play in it, including helping uh, cause what, a chain reaction that caused the United States to leave UNESCO. UNESCO had decided that Hebron, the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, uh, was a Palestinian World Heritage Site. Hey, wait a minute, Aren't, isn't it the place where the Jewish forefathers and mothers are buried and it's a Jewish building you know, on top of that? Like, how, how do you make, and isn't Palestine like something that never really existed here? Like, how did you come up with that, you know? But the, the, it was part of how, how the American Trump administration understood us to be anti-Semitism. And they left, they pulled out. That was just one thing that I was involved in. Uh, and and there, were, there were many other things that were done which were amazing. <sighs> For me, those four years was like a light. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm not commenting on the personage of, of, of Donald Trump. And I'm, not, I'm talking to you about policy. And policy-wise, to me, there was a moment there where the world, it was shown that our way of looking at things was the way that could rule the world. The Palestinian movement was being defunded. It was like, remember defund the police? It was like defund the terrorists. <laughs> you know, 
So they were like being defunded, like really just like, and, and they were being just caught on, you know, it's, it's almost like everywhere that they were going to go, we like stomped it. And it was just coming down, it was going to go the other way. Of course, the other side just recognized how dangerous it was for them and did everything to bring him and that administration down. But it was still a beautiful time. And for me, it'll forever be a, a beacon, a lighthouse of, of the way things could be. And maybe they can be like that again, uh, even in our uh, near future. Uh, with regard, and, and, and I must tell you that I have a, a close relationship with Ambassador Friedman. I was on the phone with him today. We are working on a project together right now. Right now. He is going to be here this week with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo filming an idea that I had and I gave to him, which is something called the Israel Biblical Highway, which is the Highway Route 60 that goes down the middle of the spine of Judea and Samaria and has seven holy cities on that road, which is Shechem or Shechem, Shiloh, Bethel, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Hebron, Beersheba, one road, seven biblical, central biblical sites, and we are in a project of renaming uh, that road, the Route 60, the Israel Biblical Highway, and he's going to be shooting a video based on that concept. He is shooting, it's starting tomorrow, okay? So that is happening right now. You will see it on TBN when it comes out, hopefully. Uh, so that, that's right. It's a very exciting project. And I will be looking to recruit your help to get people around the world to come and, and, and go on the Israel Biblical Highway. And, and of course, my own beloved state of Israel oftentimes is like, oh, uh, we're the high-tech country. Bible, Shmeibel, you know. And so, and so we need to help our own beloved state of Israel wake up to what it's like core marketing is, which is like a core brand, which is the Bible. Uh, and I hate to speak in such secular terms about it, but like, you know, fake it till you make it. You know, like start with like believing that the brand is the Bible and you'll see you'll become more biblical but through thinking about that. With regarding to your actual question about nationalism, indeed, indeed, uh, even Israelis don't know how to say nationalism. The Hasbara orgs, the, the Israeli like propaganda ministries, they never say Israel is the national state of the Jewish people. They just don't say that. They just they have a, they've been Americanized, and they just they just like they think that that word is a bad word. They don't know how to articulate it. In fact, in fact, one of the one of the things that I've recognized is that I have to teach Israelis. We have to teach Israelis how to say, "Yeah, we're the national Jewish state. We're the national state of the Jewish people. We're 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 a nationalist state," as opposed to saying, for example, when you say the word Jewish and democratic, the Jews love to say Jewish and democratic. But that confuses everybody. What do you mean by Jewish and democratic? Do you mean that it's fully democratic so it's not exactly Jewish? Or is it, what do you mean by that? And because these are two values that are in conflict. And so therefore you have to say, we're a Jewish state. Yes, we run the software of you know, liberty and, 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 and ideals of democracy, but we are first and foremost a Jewish state. For example, Japan. Nobody says Japan is Japanese and democratic. You know it's Japanese. They also have a democracy within it. But it's not like democracy for everybody. It's for the Japanese people. So, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, nationalism, patriotism, and look, don't be surprised if the Clinton-Obama, you know, uh, Biden world is post-nationalist. They are Euro thinkers. 
They're post-nationalists. They don't want that, and they don't like that. I think President Obama once made fun of, uh, the, the, he said that the Midwest America clings to their, 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 their guns and their Bibles, something like that, but he said it derisively. Yeah, we cling to our guns and our Bibles. <laughs> Bibles and our guns. Anyway, uh, so, so yeah, nationalism, is, it's a battle, and a lot of people don't understand it, as you pointed out. Yeah. Thank you, Nishai. Um, I wonder if you could, because I, I know you've had um, quite a number of things in the, the Muslim world. Now, with the Abraham Accords happening, your three pillars that you've presented, how are these pillars being taken by the Muslim world that's involved in the Abraham Accords, and where do you see things going from there? Great. Uh, fabulous question. And a very important one, and one that oftentimes is not talked about in this setting. So I have another face. I have a face towards you know, the West and the Christian world, but I definitely have a face towards the Arab world as well. Uh, for me, the Abraham Accords, now, now, see, people think, oh, he's a right-wing settler. He's anti-Arab. No, not at all. Uh, I'm anti-Jihad, and I'm going to push it back, but I'm certainly not anti-Arab. Not only that, for a person like me, the Abraham Accords was perfect. Couldn't be more perfect. Because of pillar number two, nationalism. Why? What is the Abraham Accords? The Abraham Accords is what I define as peace. What is peace? And every group that I speak to, I always make this point. What is peace for a person like me, a nationalist? What is peace? Peace is a strong Jewish Israel surrounded by strong Arab countries working together in concert. Great. Strong Jewish Israel, surrounded by strong Arab countries, great. Working together for a better region, for a stronger region, that's peace. Not cut this little tiny country into two, give it to the jihadists, see if they can get rid of the rest of it, and then we'll have peace, because there won't be in Israel. That's not peace, that's pieces, okay? So, so uh, the Abraham Accords was, for me, a perfect example and you'd be surprised. Uh, there are people that I like a lot. I like this guy, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS. I like him a lot. Is he a, is he a righteous, you know, dude? I, I wouldn't go so far. But, but, you know what I mean? But I don't have any problem that he knows how to deal, you know, strongly with, with the jihadist elements in his country. Recently, they had a... <laughs> they had a... Oh, I shouldn't laugh at these things. They had a, uh, a, a public execution of I think it was 86 anti-Saudi Arabian jihadis. In one day, they beheaded 86 people who were part of like Al-Qaeda and, and the Muslim Brotherhood and, uh, and ISIS. They were like, oh, you want to destroy our country? You want to destroy our kingdom? Well, off with your head. Very old school, and most of us would be like, uh, but, but, but MBS understands how to deal with this region. He understands how to hold us up. In our country, you got people chucking rocks and who knows what else, you know, at our police and our army, and we're like, okay, well, you know, that's their freedom to, uh, you know, to protest. They're trying to kill you. All right. So, so, so Mohammed bin Salman, a more natural Middle Easterner, has a sense for it, and I think that he actually wants a, uh, I don't know him personally, but from what I understand, I think he want, people like him want a, a new, different, you know, a forward momentum, a different momentum, prosperity doctrine. Uh, so, so, yeah, the Abraham Accords fit perfectly. All right, folks, you are listening to the Shai Fleischer Show. It's been a long show, and I really want to thank you. I want to thank also the folks that make this show happen. Yocheved, Simon, Ben Bresky, 
Moshe Herman, Tabitha, and Lou when we're live. All these folks make the show work hard to get it out to the world. We appreciate you guys. Uh, you are on our team to spread light to the world. And you are, you folks, the listeners, are awesome wherever you are. Uh, be part of the show. Uh, su- uh, support it and also sponsor it in the various ways that we've talked about before. Lots of blessings from the land of blessings. And shalom to you. May God's face and light be in your life. May he give you strength. May he give you guidance. May he give you direction. May he give you the opportunity to work for him in this life, in this time, in this great moment of the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, re-embodied in the land of Judea and Jerusalem, Hebron. More great stuff is on the way. Stay tuned, stay connected, stay part of the story. Lots of love and shalom. You're listening to the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Broadcasting the truth and beauty of Israel to the world.